Hey, what's going on, guys? Dom the Movie Nerd here, and have you heard the good word? Game of Thrones is back! Well, not really, but the first official spinoff, House of the Dragon, is set to premiere next year on HBO, and that got me thinking about how Game of Thrones, the number one most-watched show for a decade, just seemingly disappeared from the culture after that god-awful finale. And I wanted to find out why, which is why I'm proud to present the newest hit show from the Talking TV network, Talking Thrones, the new weekly show where myself and friend of the channel, Professor Pat Huber, get together to break down each and every single episode of this hit show. We've got focus character segments, we break down the lore, we go over some old reviews, all to get to the question of where did this show go wrong? It's a really fun time. You guys are not going to want to miss this. So head over to the Talking TV channel on YouTube and Spotify to check it out. We go live every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Audio goes up the following Saturday. It's going to be a really great time as we once again battle it out for the throne. All right, people, this is officially a talking TV first. This is going to be something that I have never done on this channel before, that none of us obviously have ever done on this channel before. Chris is on vacation, and, and today for our Space Jam, a new legacy podcast, I watched the movie on Friday. I had a guy lined up to do this, and then after watching the movie, I said, you know what? You can sit this one out. I got this because, oh, man. That, that that should be an indicator of the movie, as far as as far as for you guys as far as for you guys should know, and uh, yeah, because I put it this way, I don't want to have anyone else have to sit through this movie just in general, like for this podcast or anything else. So, without further ado, this is the official Talking TV solo pod for Space Jam: A New Legacy. Stay tuned. So this is something entirely new that has never been done on the podcast before, as I stated on the intro. You guys should all know who I am. You guys know what podcast this is as far as that goes. So the reason kind of behind this and kind of what led to this podcast as far as that goes is so a couple months ago, back during the pandemic, when everyone was kind of stuck in lockdown, not really sure of what to do with themselves. I was obviously I've, I've stated on this podcast before that I'm a huge fan of the Rewatchables podcast. Ever since I discovered them during the pandemic, they were kind of like a source of lifeblood for me. As far as that goes, as far as, you know, kind of, I'd say my, my, the rekindling of my interest in wanting to continue towards YouTube back when I didn't on, I'll be honest, I didn't know where this podcast was going to go. I didn't know kind of what the implications were going to be. I didn't know what was going to happen on the other side of COVID as far as all that goes. And the rewatchables and just discovering the ringer network was a big source of kind of inspiration for me. And Bill Simmons uh, did the solo podcast for Castaway. Obviously, he kind of played in thematically. Obviously, you know, one man stuck on an island with nothing to talk to but a volleyball for the entirety of it. And I don't necessarily know if the context for that applies as much to this. But like I stated in the intro, I, I, I texted Chris my thoughts on this. So the reason why Chris isn't here, Chris is on vacation right now. Much, much earned vacation, if I'm being completely honest. The man has been working, has been a workhorse throughout this entire thing. So obviously, shout out to him. He is getting some much needed R&R, &R, uh, you know, and also enjoying the ability that we have to now finally, you know, leave our own homes and actually travel to other parts of the country now. It's just, it, it, it's so good to actually have that back, that ability back. So, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Space Jam, which... Dropped on HBO Max this past Friday, July 16th. 
the latest in their lineup of movies that they were going to do the simultaneous drop of on both streaming and theaters as well. And my whole thing, right, is when Chris told me that he wasn't going to be around, obviously, for vacation, I told him, I'm like, I, I can't just get back when I was going to do this with a co-host. I was like, I can't just get any co-host for this, right? I've got to get somebody who has that Space Jam energy, right? Because Space Jam, for something that was originally intended to have one very specific, very commercial purpose, it's almost kind of evolved and gained kind of this secondary life in the internet age, in, in the Disney age, as far as that goes. And it's really fascinating, I feel like, to examine as far as that goes, because the the kind of the, the cultish following that's developed around the original Space Jam is obviously a big part of the reason why we now have this sequel, obviously, because famously it's known this sequel has been in development hell for years. At one point, LeBron was interested, then at another point, he walked away, and then now he's finally back in. And, and it, it was it was kind of a, a push and pull back and forth. They've been trying to make this sequel since the first one was such a smash hit in the uh, back all the way back in '96. So the plans for plans for the sequel to Space Jam. Um, What's what's it called? They, the idea was always that it was going to be involved like a new basketball competition, and they did originally want to bring Michael Jordan back. As far as that goes, they were they were going to have them fight against a new species of aliens. It was going to be voiced by Mel Brooks. Uh, Joe Petka, the director of the original, was going to come back. Um, Spike Brandt and Tony Carvone were signed back on as the animated super for the animation supervisors. The only problem is Michael Jordan, of course, as is usually the case with most sequels, did not want to come back for the sequel. So as a result, they were like, oh shit, what do we do now? So it, 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 it was floated around for a lot through a lot of different places. Apparently, it was originally actually supposed to start Jackie Chan at one point. There, you know, numerous amounts of scripts. But the point being is, it, this has always been one of those things. You've heard stories about this before about scripts that have laggered and waved and sat in development hell in Hollywood for years on end. But back in 2014, and I actually think I remember this because I actually think that I remember hearing news of a Space Jam sequel, but with LeBron this time as the signature basketball star rather than Michael Jordan. I, I actually do slightly remember hearing stories about that back in high school, so that would actually line up with this as far as our timeline goes, because it was officially announced, um, Warner Brothers announced that they were going to be doing uh, the development on the sequel back in February of 2014. Apparently, Charlie Ebersole was set to produce, uh, Willie Ebersole was set to write the script, and uh, what's it called? So LeBron actually signed the deal around the time that he was doing Trainwreck. Apparently, Justin Lin signed on as director at one point. Uh, Kobe Bryant also apparently expressed an interest in directing the film. Um, what's it called? But in September 2018, it wasn't until Ryan Coogler officially became attached to the project that this thing was really officially set to uh, set to go. Uh What's called principal photography began on June 25th, 2019. Let's um, call Malcolm D. Lee, the director of the Best Man movies, Undercover Brother, and the fifth scary movie, as I wrote in my letterbox review, was brought on. Uh, Bradford Young was apparently set to be the cinematographer on this project. That's insane to know that 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 ended very quickly <laughs> as far as that goes. But so uh, the now that that's the, but that's the production that's the history behind like how this movie came to be right and, but it all kind of stems from the fact that the original space jam was such a smash hit as far as that goes and the, the, the story behind the original Space Jam is so long and extensive that I feel like it requires like a completely secondary podcast, and the fact that I'm already just here by myself and just talking for an hour, I feel like that's already enough for you guys to deal with as far as that goes. So, basically, kind of what I wanted to talk about first, as far as kind of what this movie means, before we even actually get into the implication of it, right, is... 
what what this movie means kind of for movies going forward. And what I mean by that is the original Space Jam, let's not kid ourselves, we all know that it was originally conceived as nothing more than a Nike commercial that just happened to star Michael Jordan and the Looney Tunes because it was based off of a Nike commercial that Ivan Reitman directed starring Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. And then the producers were like, hey, why don't we just make this into a movie? And that's what eventually led to it. So, so, so kind of, in a weird way, it almost is like, I feel like a good figurehead as far as kind of how the this sort of sense of mass commercialization and use of IP has sort of come into being, right? We always know that that's been a part of media sphere, but like obviously it's become much more so in recent years, literally to the point where you have TV show, you had TV shows like 30 Rock making, in my opinion, very, very clever jokes as far as how to kind of incorporate you know, different, uh, obvious, uh, marketing ploys and product placements in. Obviously we know that Michael Bay has become famous for, it's, it's, it's almost like he's in a competition with himself to see how much product placement he can throw into movies. Right. But the original space jam was interesting because this is the first time I think ever where something that was designed as a commercial product ended up growing and evolving into like this massive rabbit cult movement around this. Like I, I know I've, I've had conversations with this about my brother for years trying to figure out like what the appeal of this movie is, but how that kind of factors in and connects to the new one. So the new movie, and I said this from the beginning, I'm like, okay, just based on what I'm seeing from the trailer, like when that first trailer dropped as far as what they're trying to do here, as far as kind of, I'm like, okay, so like there's elements of matrix here. There's elements of like, you know, obviously, being drawn into a computer simulation it's got you know those 80s elements of like having to go into this alternate world in order to retrieve something that's been lost there and it immediately became clear to me it immediately became clear to me that i'm like oh okay so warner brothers is using this and not only obviously warner brothers is using this as a commercial for hbo max is what i'm trying to get at right we all know they botched the release you know the the announcement of the simultaneous release of the movies on both HBO Max and in theaters as well was a big, obviously was a big, let's call it, um, was a big selling point in order to get people to download the app and not just, you know, uns- and then not just unsubscribe from it. Like they, they effectively ended, what's it called? They ended one week subscription terms in order to prevent that because that's just what people do. They download the apps, they sign, they make their one week subscription uh, test run get their stuff and then bail out. It's exactly what people were doing with Disney Plus when that first dropped with The Mandalorian because there was, uh, until Disney started producing more consistent content this year, there really wasn't that much that it had going for it as far as new stuff goes because it was just the fact of, okay, now we have one place with all the Disney content where we can see it. So that became immediately clear to me and I'm like, all right, but look, the original Space Jam is still pretty beloved and pretty enjoyable outside of the commercial aspects. What else can we do? As far as, you know, I'm willing to give this a chance as far as that goes. You know, am I the most excited for it? No. Did we really need a Space Jam sequel? No. But again, that sentiment and statement can be applied to pretty much 90% of the movies that we get now. So I was like, okay, so what? where else can we go from here? And now that we've actually seen the movie, I'm like, oh, so there wasn't anything else here. There, there was absolutely no intent here. Like I, I, I checked. Like it's funny. There, there were it, like everyone was making that comment. Obviously during the opening credits, when they accidentally credit the same writer twice. It's I, I don't remember what the guy's name was. It's, it's, it's Terrence Nance, I think. But they end up crediting him twice. It's like Terrence Nance and Terrence Nance. It was like, like a, I'm surprised it hasn't already been made into a meme that's been like circulating the internet. But I'm like, there are so many credited writers on this script, and it becomes immediately clear to me. I'm like, oh. 
they just had different writers coming in to do like different scenes depending on the day as far as that because that, that's what this movie feels like it feels like every other scene that happens was written by a different writer because i'm not gonna lie just as far as plot goes like again the first movie it, it, it's safe to say they're, they're the people don't watch the first movie for the plot as far as that goes we we know this we 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 we're we're attuned to this we understand that the most appealing sense is like okay we know exactly what we're getting we're going in we're gonna watch one half of a movie about michael jordan that serves as like a little bit of an origin story we're gonna watch another half of a movie that's a zany looney tunes cartoon and then by the end they're gonna come together and play this basketball game it's simple it's short it's easy to appeal you know is it the is it the deepest does it have the most compelling story no but it's enjoyable enough and it's got like a fairly simplistic not simplistic that's the wrong word to use it's got a fairly understandable trajectory and tone and direction Th not this movie oh man <laughs> um, I, I guess uh, you know what i'm not even gonna bother with the with the lack of spoilers because like the, i i don't know I'm, I'm gonna be honest i don't actually know how much i can say without spoiling this movie so i'm just gonna get into it so the essential plot of this movie it, it, it's kind of insane i knew that this was going to be kind of accomplishing the same thing as the first one did as far as just being an extended commercial for this for whatever product it is that Warner Brothers wants to push out at the time as far as their deal goes but I didn't realize just how much of the first one they were going to recycle here because it's almost beat for beat the same movie just as far as kind of the inspiration goes behind the basketball player and how that factors into his current struggle and how he ends up you know recruiting the Looney Tunes as far as that goes but and guys again if you can keep up with me kudos because there is a lot of shit to break down so Starts off in 96, LeBron is a kid, he basically, you know, his friend gives him a, a, a you know, a Game Boy Color Advance, which has just come out at the time, and then his basketball coach just yells at him and is like, oh, if you want to be good at basketball, you can't be playing video games, you know, very finger waggy, very naggy, very in your face, very like, oh, wow, couldn't, not at all, not at all obvious as far as that goes, you know, subtlety, a thing that's kind of been lost in movies recently, and so, of course, that leads into the usual montage of, like, him, you know, becoming an NBA superstar, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not a basketball guy at all, in fact, I've not a sports guy at all. I've gone out of my way to call, you know, just anything involving a ball, sports ball, multiple times over. I'll say that probably of all of the sports genre movies, I think that my, the two that I definitely gravitate towards as far as always providing the most compelling story to me are boxing and basketball movies. Uh, I have seen a couple basketball movies recently that kind of were doing, you know, kind of a similar thing. You know, Uncle Drew, when that came out a couple of years ago, I, I enjoyed that movie for what it was. But so we, we have the typical montage. But so I... I I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm not as up on LeBron as I should be, but like, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I'm not in with the zeitgeist. I, I'm not aware of LeBron's contributions really to anything. I So I kind of just have to go based off of everyone's word about him being as good as basketball as, you know, obviously people know of. You know, he's in the NBA Hall of Fame is kind of the overall world champion, but I know that he's obviously become a divisive figure in recent years. So we have the typical montage of everything that he's accomplished, and then it cuts to the modern day with this, with him and his two sons. The one older son, who I think just recently just made the news, I think. I mean, they, they changed the names, obviously, and they're played by, you know, actors. But I, I, I do think that it's kind of funny as far as, like, oh, right when this movie came out, his oldest son makes the news. And you see his oldest son shooting basketballs, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's not the kid that we're going to focus on here. And then it goes to the younger son, who's off to the side playing a video game. And you see his dad kind of giving him the same pep talk that his coach gave him in the beginning. And I'm like... Oh, that's what this is going to be. This is going to be that same old tired cliche of the dad not understanding and trying to bond with his son thing and them having to go on a magical journey together in order to, uh, you know, in order to rebond with each other that we've seen a million and a half times over again. I'm like, okay, so that's simplistic enough that I understand. 
Then we get into the virtual space, and we meet our villain of the movie, um, the, a character by the name of Algy Rhythm. You know, funny little clever play on words there. Portrayed by Don Cheadle, who I'll just say upfront right now is the best part about this movie easily. Like Don Cheadle is one of those actors where, ever since I was really introduced to him, I feel like a lot of other people, just with you know a majority of you know the mainstream actors that had careers before Marvel, but because of just you know the time that we were born in, we really don't are not aware of anything else outside of Marvel. So. Obviously, I was introduced to him in Iron Man 2, and I've, you know, expanded out and seen some other movies that he's been in. Obviously, I'm a tremendous fan of the Oceans trilogy, even though I still have no idea what the fuck kind of accent he's doing in that movie. And Don Cheadle, you can tell, is probably the only actor that they could actually afford for this movie, as far as that goes, because it shows. Because I think the only other big-name actor that they have for this movie is the actress who plays LeBron's wife in the movie, who is Sonical Martin Green, who portrayed Sasha in The Walking Dead. And there, there are, like, no other, like, recognizable stars that are, like, not just in cameos. Like, that. I know they, they have Steven Yeun and Sarah Silverman as, like, these studio executives that are trying to pitch LeBron James on a movie. But, like, for, for, all, intents of pur- the, for all intents of purposes, you know, the rest of the movie is literal cartoon characters and just CG, you know, other Warner Brothers IP. So, they, 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 they didn't really need to expand out as far as the amount of actors that they needed for this movie. So, they got Don Cheadle to play this villain who... And, and bear with me if you can here, who, because he's kind of the AI that Warner Brothers has been using to kind of organize their vast content library, but he feels that he needs recognition and sentience. Like, that, I don't actually know. This is the part that confused me because this is the part where it feels like the screenwriters actually had some iota of creativity here that they wanted to actually do, you know, inside of this giant HBO Max LeBron commercial, which is that. Okay, I want recognition for my contributions, but I'm not getting it properly. So now what do I, what am I going to do? And you know basically it, it's he's pissed because Warner Brothers is trying to pitch LeBron on this idea of CGing him virtually into their movies going forward. And basically when he says no cuz he I feel like probably the only smart move that he does in the entire movie where he's like, "Oh, I don't want to do this. This is weird and this doesn't this don't feel like movies as far as that goes." And some line that the that algae rhythm takes the wrong way and so he comes up with this evil plan to convince to, to gain worldwide notoriety by challenging lebron to a basketball game and beating him and therefore using his followers to gain the recognition that he so wants. That that's our villain plan of the movie. That that that's just one half of it, right? So that of course leads to the inevitable part that you saw in the trailers, him and his son getting into the argument, going down to the basement, them getting sucked into that giant glowing ball cuz let's face it, that's the only way that studios know how to like provide a capable interface between reality and artificial reality, which is just, just have a giant glowing ball, you know? No 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 more beaming. The the days of beaming someone into an artificial reality space from Tron are over with. So that happens. Then he brings LeBron into the virtual space. He's like, "Okay, I've got your son. You wanna, you want your son back? You gotta, what's it called? Um, you, you have to uh, beat me in a basketball game, as far as that goes." And then he, of course, is like, "Hey, send him to Rejectville, as far as that goes." And that's, of course, where we bring in the Looney Tunes, because this, I think, personally, brings up the idea. That is probably, for me personally, the only bit of something that could have actually been relevant and, and actually interesting had they chosen to pursue it, which is the idea of, yeah, there have been, Warner Brothers has assembled this massive 
live content of you know library of content since the days of the Looney Tunes cartoons and so it's kind of in a weird way made the Looney Tunes cartoons a little bit less I'm not going to say less relevant but like obviously you know not as many kids are watching Looney Tunes cartoons as they are like the latest big name brand IPs and Again, far be it for me to try and give like gigantic studios who are just trying to shove their commercial products in our face more credit than they deserve, but I at least thought, I'm like, okay, that's actually kind of an interesting idea that might worth spelling out, you know, because when LeBron lands in Toontown and he sees it's deserted, like there's no one there, and he sees Bugs Bunny trying to compensate by himself, but like Bugs Bunny is the only tune left in Toontown, and it's kind of sad, honestly, and it's kind of provide, I'm like, wait, are they actually trying to give Bugs Bunny, you know, the one of the most popular and iconic cartoon characters of, you know, of all time, somebody who has literally become like a brand mascot in and of himself, an actual character arc here, and I'm not going to lie, that actually was kind of interesting as far as that goes, I was actually kind of interested in pursuing the idea of, okay, what do the Looney Tunes have to do in order to quote-unquote make themselves relevant and cool and hip in today's kind of modern-day AI algorithm, social media, instant gratification-driven sphere, right? Especially since the Looney Tunes are characters that were based off of, you know, this idea of just this constant zaniness in a weird way, constantly trying to capture people's attention by just like, you know, these very poppy, flashy animation palettes and these, you know, crazy over-the-top stunts and the fact that in the recent year they've gotten into like cartoon logistics, like it, it, it all in a weird way kind of does lend itself towards the story. And of course, had they pursued that, I feel like that would have been something interesting, but no, it, it's nothing more than just a gimmick in order to get us on what we then spent the next 20 minutes doing, which is just them going to different Warner, Bro Warner Brothers produced movies in the quote-unquote Warner Serververse, uh, you know, which of course contains all of these different worlds. It's very Reddit Player 1-esque. I'll get into that in a bit. Uh, to all of these different worlds where all of the Looney Tunes have kind of gone off to something about um, so, something about algae rhythm giving them a chance to like be more relevant by being in other movies so that of course leads to a 20 minute sequence where it's just LeBron and Bugs Bunny going to all of these different movies to recruit the Looney Tunes I think it's like they've got Elmer the Daffy Duck and Porky Pig are in the animated DC world um, Elmer Fudd's in Austin Powers Granny and Speedy Gonzalez are in the Matrix because of course they just for whatever reason they decided to just have Granny doing all of these slow-mo kung fu moves because why I I don't know that that that's just one of those decisions. So I'm like, oh okay, cool. Um, that la latest Hollywood executive, you know, doing a line of coke and being like, oh yeah, that's totally something we should do. Um, trying to think, what well, Yosemite Sam is the piano player in Casablanca. It's 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 it, I'm, I'm like, this is where. I'm like, okay, so this is the point where if this movie's intentions weren't clear enough, this is where they absolutely become clear. Because, oh man, like, I, I've seen some shameless shit in my time, but this might take the cake as far as that goes. And that's all before the third act, right? Keep this in mind, too, right? We, we obviously know the structure of these movies by this point, right? First half is spent establishing, like, you know, the conflict and the villain along with the basketball player. Then by the time you actually get them together, that, that lasts pretty short as far as that goes. Because, again, I, I said this before, the amount of actual time between when, in the original, between when Michael Jordan arrived in Toontown versus when uh, the actual basketball game started, it's not that much time. It's really not. The only major sequence that really happens is, um, is, is him sending Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck to break into his house to steal his shorts and shoes. Not not at all problematic in today's in today's day and age. Not at all. <laughs> that that age incredibly well, if you can't sense the dripping sarcasm in my voice. But um 
But but th- this movie's a full two hours long, right? The, the original Space Jam is only an at clocks in at an hour forty. Nice, tight, breezy. You could watch it like over and over again, and it works. This movie's two hours long, like full two hours, like hour fifty five, give or take. But like this movie's a full two hours long. And while I will say that it doesn't have a decent amount of pacing problems, this is definitely the point where I'm like, okay, the commercialism aspects are starting to overtake whatever quote-unquote plot was happening here, you know? And of course, it leads into the typical, oh, algae rhythm is, is manipulating LeBron's son because he's got these crazy, insane computer skills. He literally built an entire goddamn video game on his own. And, the, and this is, again, where I'm beginning to question it. It's like, wait, LeBron, like, like LeBron doesn't, LeBron doesn't want his son to make video games, even though the video game design industry is one of the is one of the biggest sources of revenue right now for young up and coming coders. And besides the fact that coding is one of the best jobs as far as that goes, it's just like, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I know it's a movie, but the logistics of it, like I, I just can't get into it. I just can't because that's the point where I'm like, I'm too in tune with reality at this point. And as far as what works in order for like any sort of like quote unquote old school Hollywood like stories to really work on me. So that's automatically where that falls apart. And so we know, obviously, that Don Cheadle is going to be using his son in order to design, like, the ultimate basketball team, which, again, it's kind of disappointing, I will say, because, again, as far as the elements that they took from the first movie almost beat for beat, kind of the interest of the original was seeing that we actually, for the the first half, did actually get to spend a little bit of time with the aliens who would eventually become the Monstars and kind of, you know, seeing them go around and steal all the other basketball players' talents. That that was actually kind of interesting as far as that goes. You know, I actually actually thought that that that, that was... was fun and that was charming and we, you know we actually got to know those characters a little bit actually i feel it gave us at least some bit of backstory to what would eventually just become like these hulking monstrous things that were just there to like you know provide you know basic bare bone and anta- you know scary looking antagonists as far as that goes but here it's just generic cg mix up of oh we're just going to take basketball players that are you know that that obviously lebron knows pretty well and then just do cg hybrids of them with animals it's like a, it's like a falcon i I don't unlike the last one where I know all the names of the basketball players that whose talent was stolen in order to provide in order to give the monsters the talent in the original I couldn't name a single one I think there was like a brief Kyrie Irving cameo but again not attuned to basketball wouldn't know any of the stars even if I tried again sports fans come at me in the comments you know pointed out by all means again it, the, it's movie nerd not sports nerd but so the, the basketball players that they get in order to provide the antagonists, you know, the goon squad, I think is what they call them. It's like a falcon hybrid, a fire hybrid, a water hybrid, a snake hybrid, a spider hybrid, and then this weird clock hybrid that can like literally stop time. And so the incentive for the final basketball game, once they finally assemble the Looney Tunes and they get going for the basketball game is, okay, so the idea is they're not actually playing basketball. The goal is essentially to play it like it's a video game. Where instead of just playing it regularly and scoring hoops regularly, they essentially have to show off with all of these different crazy graphics and do all of these crazy advanced plays that include all these different video game logistics. And the third act quite literally becomes a video game because I said I wrote this in my review. This shit is like Ready Player One on all all of the all of the drugs. Just all of the drugs that you could think of. It is Ready Player One on that because the visual nonstop palette. Of first of just all of the different Warner Brothers characters coming in, and then of the actual logistics of the basketball game. Like I like my my thing that I said is this is probably the first time where I actually understood what it was like for a Gen Xer 
to be watching all of the Marvel movies, which again, I love the Marvel movies, but like, I'll, I'll be the first person to admit that the CG in those movies does get a little bit much. It does get to be a little bit much of visual onslaught. Never anything that I can't handle, but like, I, but like, I now understand what it is that people, the problem that people have with the visuals and kind of how incomprehensible and how hard to follow they are because, oh my God, this basketball game, I even said this, I'm like, I actually had to pause the movie at one point and just, just to take a break, just to give my eyes and my brain a break because I'm like, holy shit, even for my ADD adult brain that constantly needs something going on in order to occupy it, this is too much. This is absolutely too much. And this is the point where, again, the rest of the movie, I feel like, is pretty predictable as far as the plot goes. So this is where I'll get into kind of the points where I, I, I'm starting to, where I'm kind of starting to understand what it is that, you know, that, that, that people are starting to complain about as far as, as far as modern day movie goes, modern day movies go. Because as far as bringing back the Scorsese arguments of the idea that movies now are essentially just nothing but visual flair, right? I get that, right? I, I think it's a little bit hypocritical because movies have always needed action kind of in, in order to make themselves appealing as far as that goes. But like, I understood where he was coming from, where the primary bulk of theater going fair now is just for spectacle. It's just in order to see Tom Cruise climb up the Burj Khalifa, or it's just to see the latest Marvel, you know, Mar Marvel action set piece, or it's just to see the latest James Bond action set piece. Like I even said this, like I was looking over some of my favorite movies from 2021 so far. And I'm like, holy shit. Almost all of my top 10 are action movies, you know, Quiet Place 2, Wrath of Man, Nobody, Army of the Dead, like, um, what's it called, like, very few of them have kind of some of those, like, extra elements, you know, those extra, the occasional drama, you know, obviously, you know, we, we've got a decent amount of animated movies uh, right now, that seems to be, like, the one kind of brief respite, but I was looking, I'm like, holy shit, there have been no major mainstream movies that have gotten any attention this year that are not action movies in some way, you know, the, the exception, I feel like being Judas and the black Messiah, but that was back in but that was back during the whole kind of Oscars confusion as far as, Oh, is this a 2020 or a 2021 movie between obviously with Nomadland and Minari's release as far as that goes. So to think of Judas and the black Messiah as a 2021 film is already confusing enough. And the reason why I bring that up is because this is, I believe the, because this is the first year, because every year for the last couple of years, current during kind of like the Disney corporate takeover of Hollywood has been as at the very least, they've, there's always been like that one movie, that one kind of like little lesser known drama that was able to sneak through the cracks and get kind of like that notoriety but this year for my money there isn't one not one like i know chris and i talked about mainstream on this channel and we obviously did the zola review a couple weeks ago and you know and a24 has always seemed to be the exception but like put this in perspective we're even at a point now where a24 is even looking for a buyout as far as that goes and i bring all of this up because this, I feel like this factors into my point as far as what this movie means when it comes to where movies are going in the future. And I've talked to a couple people who did like this movie and did uh, and were entertained by this movie. And I didn't do that usual douchebag movie bro thing that I do most of the time. I'll admit I have fallen victim to this a couple times where I'm like, oh my god, I have no idea what you meant. Why? What, what, what did you see in this movie? I, for the life of me, have no idea what anyone can see in this movie. And to be honest, just people in general have got to stop doing that because it's demeaning. It's, uh, it's demeaning. It's really just a way for them to puff themselves up and make themselves feel superior to everyone else. And it's, it's got to stop as far as that goes. Um, and, and I feel like, and I feel like what that kind of means as far as, you know, 
for for what kids today are going to grow up with and what they're going to get out of their movies, right? It's, it's, I feel like it's kind of part of the reason of what I've been trying to accomplish and what, what Chris and I have both been trying to accomplish with this podcast is trying to figure out what it is that people have loved about movies in the past and really how we're at this point where that is really changing and we're all we're doing we're trying to do is we're just trying to figure out why we're trying to figure out what it is what is it that that has made people so much more willing to gravitate towards quite frankly mediocre products that these studios put out that make billions of dollars just based off of this recognizable IP, right? We've had the IP discussion. We've had the nostalgia discussion. We've had the CG discussion. We've had the history discussion. We've had all of those discussions before. And so that's old news. But so the thing that I wanted to bring up as far as in order to kind of gear the second half of this podcast, as far as kind of why this movie doesn't work ultimately as a movie, quite so even less than the first one, but also kind of what it means for movies going forward is, I I, I saw a comment the other day regarding like, uh, you know, all y'all adults stop trying to critically review Space Jam, it's for kids, which that, just comments like that infuriate me to no end, because I'm like, okay, so you're just demeaning kids movies now, because you're saying that no kids movie should really be taken seriously, or or critically received, or just, you know, held to, you know, the standards of cinema that we so, you know, that make movies so good, and make us love them so much. Not only that, but you're also basically saying, oh, yeah, why do we even review movies? Why do we even care about good movies, as far as that goes? But that's the thing, right? That's the kind of the point and the struggle that we constantly bring up, that we constantly find ourselves in this push, pull, back and forth on, right? What is a good movie? What is it that we want from our entertainment, right? Do we want something to just, you know, lay back and quote unquote turn our brain off to, or do we want something more thought provoking and intellectual, right? And that's kind of. I feel like what the Hollywood movies have been trying to reflect this past year. But the reason why I bring up kind of the more commercialized elements of this is because it's it's ultimately cynical. It, it, it it's telling ki- all it's doing is telling kids, hey here's all of these things that you may or may not recognize based off of what your parents like, because let's be honest, how many kids that are born now, like there's, yeah, there are those brands that are recognizable amongst many others, but like this isn't Disney, right? This isn't Star Wars that we're talking about, right? Which has become pretty universal. Like there's one shot where it's like DC superheroes that are recognized, but like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is what ultimately is the point of telling kids, right? Because this is a kid's movie, right? This is a movie that is made ultimately for children, primarily. What ultimately kind of is the point of telling kids, oh, here's that thing from this, and here's that thing from this, right? Oh, here's a Flintstone, here's a Pennywise, here's a King Kong, here's an Iron Giant, right? There's certain intellectual properties and IP that kids would recognize, right? If we're just talking about this from a brand consumer's point, but like the majority of people who would recognize this are stuff that are for people my age who grew up with the original Space Jam. And that's kind of where we find themselves in this weird spot, right? As far as kind of taking the whole nostalgia element to this whole new level, because now, right, the majority of people who Hollywood are making movies for are people in my age bracket, right? But not not necessarily little kids, like people in my age bracket, which is strange because for the longest time, our, my age bracket is the one that was seemingly ignored by Hollywood. But now we're the primary focus. We're the primary demographic. We're the ones that are going online and making all, you know and making all of these different uh, websites and making all of these different chats and making all these different tweets and kind of essentially acting as a second form of advertising for these movies. So what confuses me is when they try to appeal to us 
but not necessarily in a way in which we can share it right with kind of the future the next generation right because i know a lot of people who are my age are finally are just starting to get married and have kids you know i'm a little bit on the younger age end of that bracket but like a lot of like younger millennials and gen zers are starting to get into that point where they're you know starting to get into relationships and having kids and everything like that and I, the, the, the part that confuses me is I'm like, I, I really do want to know like what this has for it for kids because I, I, I guess, and this is where kind of ultimately the crux of how this compares to the first one comes in because at the end of the day, right? Yes, the first movie is an extended commercial without a doubt, but the thing that ultimately makes it for me is the fact that in a weird way, you can kind of distance yourself because for my money, I Never even noticed that it was like a Nike branded commercial, right? I can kind of distance myself, and because the cartoonish sensibilities of that movie are really, really well thought out and really, really well done, and the animation is really, really well done, it kind of almost does play out as this extended Looney Tunes cartoon that has that just happens to feature real people, and the sensibilities are childish enough and are childish enough and immature enough that like a kid could gravitate towards it. And, you know, be kind of enraptured by it as far as that goes. Obviously, yes, you know, the whole Lola Bunny of it all. Yeah, I, I still don't, I, I'm still a little bit confused why a cartoon artist felt the need to apply, uh, you know, you know, f female, uh, uh, what's it called, um, What's called, uh, you know, obviously uh, feminine body parts onto an animal, uh, you know, specifically a talking cartoon animal. I'm still, my mind is baffled by, and I'm baffled by the motivation behind that. But and obviously that leads into the, you know, the whole one of many controversies that led to this movie. Because of course, of all fucking movies, Space Jam has to have controversies around it in the modern day, or around the kind of the reconstruction of the Lola Bunny character, as 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 far as all that goes, and. But, but that's kind of where the endearment and the charm, I feel, of the original Space Jam comes from. Not necessarily why it developed the cultish feel. I think feel like that's a different thing as far as just the internet in general and how fanboys on the internet are concerned. But ultimately, that's kind of where the first Space Jam works. It works kind of as this extended Looney Tunes cartoon. This movie... I have no idea how this is going to work. This movie, to me, it doesn't work as a sports movie. It doesn't work as... A Ready Player One-esque nostalgia bait fest because the only uses of the actual, you know, Warner Brothers IP are just for, like, brief one-off bits. And, like, how many people now are, like, going to recognize them? Like, how many, specifically kids, right? I'm talking kids specifically, which, are, which again, now are pretty much all born after the year, like, 2000 eight or nine, right? That That's what I'm talking, right? Because the majority of the people born before that are like now entering high school, right? That That's the crazy thing. People born in 2007 are now entering high school, right? What kid now is going to recognize the Matrix? What kid now is going to recognize Casablanca? What kid, like the only one of those that they would recognize is DC, right? So so that's where I'm confused as far as that goes because I'm like, okay, just as, a far of, just as far as like what I like to call a member bearers contest as far as, okay, recognizing all these different IPs, it doesn't work as far as that goes. It doesn't work even as a Looney Tunes cartoon because the the actual Looney Tunes elements are eradicated once they get into the CG-filled third act and they turn the traditionally animated CG uh, Looney Tunes into these CG character versions of themselves, which is just oh man, that's that that was vi visual visual nightmare on a whole different level so it doesn't work there it certainly doesn't work as a as a father-son bonding movie mostly because of just the terrible cliches and sticks of that movie so just as far as like if we're breaking down like how this works as a movie I'm lost I'm legitimately lost for words because just looking at any different possible element and way in which this could work as a movie it doesn't 
So <laughs> as, as, as far as just kind of like, let, let's say applying a critical lens, right? Something that is slowly becoming more and more lost with the age of the internet. We can't even do that one, right? And as far as how this compares to the first one, I can't even really compare it as far as like a cartoonish element because for my money at least, and I'll admit, I'm not the primary demographic. That's also kind of one of the last points that, I want, that I'll break down and discuss. I'm not the primary demographic for this movie, so I'm not somebody who's really definitely going to get something, I feel like, out of this out of this movie, right? Because again, I was talking before about how all these movies seem to be made for people my age, but in this instance, right, it's definitely a movie that I feel like that is made for a much younger demographic. But for my money, right, I'm like, Jesus, so if this this is the next level of CG. This is the next level. This is what kids younger than me are going to grow up with, and I don't even know what that's going to do to their brain development as far as that goes. I already know that people my age, our brain development has been completely thrown off because, you know, we were just enmeshed in the internet from a young age, and now, with kids now, I don't even know how that's going to go. But ultimately, at the end of the day... The other, the other thing that I wanted to bring up as far as, you know, where this movie could have worked is the fact that they don't even, is that, that the few interesting ideas that they do have, you know, even though it's completely misguided, whatever, you know, the idea of the algae rhythm character and everything that Don Shields bring to that part, again, like, he he actually does manage to bring in, like, even, even if the jokes don't always work, like, just his sense of smoothness and charisma, like, he really is legitimately trying to act, and again, I'm, again, he's had 10 years of experience of acting in front of Marvel green screen, so, like, he knows what he's doing as far as that goes, in fact, he's probably the only actor that knows what he's doing as far as that goes, but 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 as but as far as kind of the you know the kitty element as as far as that goes, and as far as the elements of of this that could have worked as far as the Looney Tunes go, they don't follow that through because they they have this one cheap fake out at the end where it's like oh my god they have this thing where Bugs Bunny does this move this glitch move that will delete him from the system that was set up earlier on in the movie and the idea being like oh my god could Bugs Bunny die and then at the end it's like nope he's just there in the real world and I'm like okay just what we're like now cartoons could just cross into the real world now it just we, we talked a lot about stakes and movies not having any lasting stakes now and how and the reason why that's slowly going away because just you know stakes in movies are not exactly ideal for you know having these ips and and these recycled stories that you just want to push forward and continue to franchise forever because that's ultimately what these movie studios want is to have these franchises that literally go on forever that way they can keep churning out money right again it's it's the way in which kind of marvel solved the franchise problem that hollywood have been trying to crack for the last 10 years at that point throughout the 2000s right harry potter i feel like was the first big example of that and then Marvel just took over and is still going like Mar like we're on year 12 of Marvel and they're arguably stronger now than they ever have been before and so it it ultimately begs the question I feel of what is it that movies are trying to accomplish anymore right if if, if if the actual artists and the creators are secondary and disposable now right what, what even is it that they're trying to accomplish like what what is it that, that movies are trying to say now and I know that's kind of a um I know that's kind of a moot point, right? I know that's a point that we've that we've brought up before, right? The idea of people not wanting messages, quote unquote, politics in their movie. I I get all that, right? But that's not what I'm talking about here. the The whole idea, right, that I learned and that I kind of came to understand about movies as I got older is this idea that yeah, any all of the best movies, all of your favorite movies are gonna have some life lesson that you'll be able to apply and take away from and be able to apply to your life as far as that goes. I, that's personally why I why movies appeal to me. That's why I love them. I know that's why a lot of other people love them is because they can always get that extra element, that extra bit of kind of empathy, right? It, it allows them to empathize with and understand people 
and, and, and you know, and just really anything that normally they wouldn't give the second time of day. You know, what I found is that people tend to not be the most open-minded. They tend to not be the most forgiving. They tend to be very territorial. They tend to be very, very in their own worlds and not as willing to want to expand. And movies kind of give them that ability that they slowly lose over time as they get older, right? So, what, what kills me about kind of the modern-day onslaught is all of these new big-budget blockbuster movies that are coming now, and I think the reason why people like me, who love kind of the old-school movies, are becoming so disillusioned with movies is because... There's nothing there, ultimately, right? You can have, like, this big, giant, poppy, flashy artifice with all of these different references that people may or may not get. But at the end of the day, the thing that I found is that is that as time goes on, the movies that were always focused on the present are the movies that never lasted and the, are the movies that people now are like, oh, yeah, that movie? Oh, yeah, that was a thing for a minute, right? And the problem is that's... Be, I think in order... If I can you know, put on my film bro hat and kind of add something to the, to the Scorsese comments from a couple of years ago, I feel like that is becoming more of the norm, is the problem. The idea of making something based off of, because it's based off of an IP, not because a writer and creator has an idea, right? Obviously, that's been the running joke of Hollywood for the last couple of years, but there were always those movies that were kind of still trying to, you know, have the classic struggle of, you know, have the classic ideas of cinema in there, with that, you know, that, that we're able to sneak through the cracks. But now, in the year of our Lord 2021, it feels like that's going away because it just feels like that's not the case. Because again, what indie movies have there been this year that people know about? Mainstream had like five minutes of, uh, uh, you know, of Time in the Sun and, and half the people don't even know about that. You know, something like Mitchell's vs. the Machines, which even though that comes from a big name studio, it's sold off to Netflix. Like there's a lot of creative intent behind that. And it's actually really funny and really well thought out. And the animation is really good. And that's dropped on Netflix to a place where no one could find it. And so at the risk of sounding like a grouchy, curmudgeon old man, my whole thing is that I personally feel like we, this is the point of no return as far as movies go. I really, really do. And I have a bad feeling that we're going to continue to go in this direction. So if you take Nothing else away from this podcast. I will say definitely and kind of, you know, I'll, I'll call it, let, let's call it my hour-long therapy session of trying to reconnoiter myself to what exactly this movie was and what this movie means for the future of movies. It's that this, of everything that we've kind of been building towards since kind of the Marvel domination and takeover and the DC of it all and, and all the different attempts at all the different crazy franchise experimentation that we've been going through, we've now settled in this point where we have the giant blockbusters and those are only going to be in theaters. And we have kind of the more thought-driven, um, what's it called, you know, auteurist pieces that can occasionally get these big movie stars. And those are either going to be in TV film, limited series, or, you know, shortened TV form. And those are going to be on streaming, right? And the problem is that we're, we're slowly losing the ability to go to a theater and enjoy a movie for anything other than the spectacle of it all. And the reason why that concerns someone like me so much is, I love movies, but I also love kind of the discussion around movies, right? The thing that, and Chris can speak to this too, obviously, is that the the enjoyment factor for movies, and specifically with the theater-going experience, comes from being able to hang out with your friends or that water cool and have that awesome water cool discussion. It's what let it's what made the early days of the internet so awesome was because you could connect with these people all around the globe and have these awesome in-depth conversations about movies. But now. It's only it's always dependent on what Hollywood 
will provide for us. And if that's the best that they're going to come up with is just cheap, this cheap artifice, where does the conversation go as far as that goes? Now, I'll admit, a big part of this does come from the fact that the internet has kind of, you know, in a weird way, allowed for nitpicking to become way, way more uh, you know, mainstream, you know, it, it's allowed for people to pick up on and point out on the most minute details that no one ever would have cared about at all from before. And it's kind of in a way led to the kind of this whole secondary, uh, you know, film criticism movement of kind of I'll, I'll call it troll criticism, which is where they're only pointing out these things just to point them out as far as that goes. And it really adds nothing to the, to the, to the discussion as far as that goes. It adds nothing to the discussion around and, and kind of the enjoyment factor of the movie. And Hollywood, in a weird way, has kind of been playing around with that and kind of been trying to, uh, you, you know, play into those sensibilities where now it's almost like they're trying to troll the trolls as far as, okay, well, you pointed out this nitpick. Well, we're going to intentionally put all this shit in there just to fuck with people. You know, we're going to have people, people are going to make, people are making fun of the Fast and Furious movies. Okay, well, we're going to lean into the stupidity as far as that goes, you know, and it's all because of kind of this artifice. So the internet has definitely contributed to that as far as that goes, but Far be it from me to give way more credit to this Space Jam movie than it deserves, but ultimately, I, I, I feel like that's what this movie represents, because where else is the conversation as far as that goes? You know, I, I didn't want to fall into the trap of talking about, about the behind-the-scenes problem, because quite frankly, this wasn't one of those things where it was really that interesting. The most, the, the, Again, the most that I could talk about was the fact that this movie was in development hell for so long, but... It's just a situation of where, like, okay, this movie, sure, it was compelling for all the wrong reasons. It was engaging for all the wrong reasons. It had poppy, flashy visuals, and it'll distract a three-year-old, right? If you just want to plop a three-year-old in front of a screen, and, you know, in order for them to be distracted for two hours, sure, it accomplished that, but that's all it does, and that's all it is, and that's all it represents, you know? And I can't even really go into the LeBron thing of it all because I have a feeling that LeBron doesn't even really care. LeBron probably showed up, shot all of his stuff, and left. And he doesn't care about this because he doesn't have to because he's worth billions of dollars. He doesn't have to care about this movie. So at the end of the day, kind of, if I can go into my final thoughts on this movie, it's weird because, again, it's another one of those podcasts where I barely talked about the movie itself. But Space Jam 2, ultimately, it's the first movie that I would say, yeah, this is cynical. And yeah, this is just a hollow artifice. And yeah, this has nothing going for it as far as creative endeavors. I guess the reason why I'm never really as harsh on the Marvel movies as Chris is, is because at the end of the day, aside from all of the Marvelisms, Kevin Feige, it, it is just kind of, you know, for it, it, it's kind of just by happenstance that those movies ended up becoming as big and popular as they are. But Kevin Feige is trying to do something creatively minded. It's just everything else that goes into those movies that makes them as popular as they are, right? And the fact that they're probably not as compelling as they probably could be. And the fact that it does feel that, that it's one guy overseeing all of these different movies that makes it feel more like television. But at the end of the day, those movies do still have some sense of creative mind behind them, just not in the areas where it counts and where it's focused on. This movie, though, there's none of that. There's absolutely none of that. The only ounce and bit of joy that I can get from it is Don Cheadle and even him at the end it's like okay it's just another simple smash and grab villain and he ultimately doesn't matter at the end because this movie is nothing this movie accounts for nothing this movie applies for nothing other than go subscribe to HBO Max that that's literally what what the what the takeaway from this movie is is go subscribe to HBO Max and if anything if I wasn't already if I hadn't already been a subscriber of HBO for years beforehand 
because of HBO, you know, before HBO Max came around, I would say I'm not going to get HBO Max at all because if it just means that we're going to be getting more movies like this then that's not worth that $15 a month or however much they have it for as far as that goes now obviously I know that it's not going to be the last one to come out and but we obviously know the good thing is that the rest of the HBO Max slate for the rest of the year looks to be pretty promising between Suicide Squad, Reminiscence, Many Saints of Newark, Dune it, it looks to be pretty promising as far as that goes but for my money as far as I'm concerned this is the worst movie of the year for all the reasons that I listed above, because at the end of the day, it doesn't even work as a movie. Forget all of the other commercial elements, forget all of the other kid elements, forget the sports elements, forget the Warner Brothers elements. This doesn't work as a movie. The plot is not compelling. The characters, what character even is there? Any sort of interesting idea that's brought up is not followed through. You know, basic fundamentals of storytelling, which I've talked about on this podcast before. That's what's missing here, you know? And I know that a lot of people are going to be coming at it. It's like, and doing the whole usual turn your brain off. But guess what? I, I can't do that. I just can't. I can't do that at this point. That's not me. That's never been who I am. That's not what I get out of movies. And I understand that I'm in the minority as far as a majority of people don't go into movies looking for any of the stuff that I look for. And I get that. And I've made my peace with that. But over, but overall, I just I, I I can't get behind something that is ultimately this shallow and this cynical. When it when when it directly, when when it directly talk. Oh my God, what's the fucking word? When it directly contradicts and goes against the idea of audiences and what they get and and what they ultimately want from their movies. It's just I I can't. It, it's it's just another excuse of studios treating us like simpletons. And that and and I I. I don't think that people like that as far as that goes. I mean, I don't know for, for all intents and purposes, they might like that, you know, but it's also just the fact that movies just don't have the place in the culture that they used to anymore because, but that has nothing to do with movies in and of themselves. That just has to do with rapidly advancing technology as far as streaming goes and streaming and the rapidly advancing technology and access to it, ultimately making them more disposable by nature. But there's nothing really that we could do about that. If anything, that just puts more of a challenge to the artist as far as, okay, now we know our medium is becoming more disposable. So how can we make something that is still, you know, that that people are going to want to watch and a lot of people are going to want to watch this because of the commercial advertising and marketing that Warner Brothers does and honestly like so many of the other movies that they've done in the last couple of years that's all that this has going for it and for all of those reasons I'm giving this movie I couldn't even give this like I, I know Chris is usually a lot less harsh but again I, I I spared Chris as I said before I'm like I wanted to spare him and anyone else from having to watch this movie because I, I don't want anyone to watch this movie if there's one thing that you can take away from this podcast it's do not watch Space Jam a new legacy just go watch the first one it's so much more entertaining there's so much more to it they're, they're, it's just so much more fun right ultimately that movie is just so much more fun and this one isn't so I'm giving this movie one and a half stars for Don Cheadle's performance and for the sort of inkling of an idea of where they could have of what they could have done with the Looney Tunes but other than that this movie has nothing going for this movie is nothing again I don't qualify this as a movie this is probably the worst movie that I've seen so far this year it's just disappointing ultimately it, it really is given that I I, I I want, I'll say this again, I sound like a broken record, but I go into these movies, I want to like these movies, I want to enjoy them, you know, yeah, I, because I've seen something be a giant commercial for a product before, and haven't worked, and haven't been a really compelling movie, it was called the Lego movie, you know, but 
I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't know what's happened to all of the creators. I don't know what's happened to their ability to actually create art. And I just, I don't know. And that those are questions that I won't be able to answer on this podcast. And I probably, I'm not gonna lie, probably won't ever be able to answer, but um, I'll do my best to keep going forward. So that was it. That was my review for Space Jam, a new legacy. Uh, let me know what you guys thought of the solo podcast format. Let me know how I did. Um, what's it called? Def- definitely, I feel like Chris uh, Chris and I will bring that up as a point of preference on our next week's podcast, which, of course, next week next week's another doubleheader. So something to look forward to as far as that goes. We'll be reviewing both the movie of the week, which is M. Night Shyamalan's new upcoming movie, Old. Cannot freaking wait for that because it's been too long since we've had a Shyamalan movie. And I just, I, I, after this piece of shit that I just watched, I, I need something that just knows that it's bad to just sit back and watch and enjoy, so that's coming, and we've also got the premiere of Ted Lasso Season 2 next week, which we will be covering actually on the podcast, not just on the Variety Show next week, we'll be covering that on the podcast, I'm very excited about that because hopefully it means that we'll be getting back to some quality content and that we'll be getting into August. Talking Thrones, of course, comes back. We 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 are officially back this week. Um, last night we obviously had the season two premiere. Myself and Pat broke down the first episode of season two. Lots to talk about there. Definitely go check that out. I've got a couple more top ten lists coming out on Wednesdays going forward to tide us through for the rest of the summer. It's still crazy to me that like we're already halfway through. We're already halfway through July. Summer is already almost over. It's kind of insane as far as that goes. Just you know. Uh, you know, getting my brain used to that. As far as that goes, just time only gets faster as you get older, people. Just keep that in mind. And uh, as always, you guys know what to do. Follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Talking TV Podcast on both in order to keep up with everything that we've got going on. Be sure to click the subscribe button, click the like button, leave a comment section, leave a comment down below. Please comment away. That if, if I can make this video the most commented on video, of, of, of our entire YouTube thing so far, I, I would because I really want to know people's thoughts and I really got to hear from them because, again, a lot of people have talked to me that said that they loved this movie and I have to know. I have to know what it is that they got out of it. So, that's it. Leave them in the comment section below. Let me know what you thought about Space Jam, A New Legacy. Let me know what you thought of the solo podcast format. Be sure to follow Chris and everything that he's doing with his social media profiles, Facebook and Instagram, at Christian Ivanko, E-V-A-N-K-O. That's how you follow that. He's got an album that he's going to be dropping at some point this year, so definitely be sure to go and check that out. Follow myself if you want at Movie Nerd Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. I'm not as big on my, uh, presence, let's say, on my social media profiles as I probably should. And as always, people, you know the sign-off. I've done it so many times now. Will I change it at some point? I don't know. Probably not. 12 seasons in a short film. Watch more fucking movies. I'll see you guys next time.